Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you're paying attention to your bulletin this morning, you might be a bit confused as to why I'm standing up here and not my husband. Uh, Andrew was very much needed somewhere else at the last minute, and he's there. So I'm here to give his sermon. Uh, So I guess you could think of this as kind of a joint Unger sermon today. Um, They are mostly his words. I did tweak them some. Um, (laughs) But if you have any criticisms, you should absolutely save them for him next week. (laughs) All right. Okay, so whatever you do during this sermon, don't think of a pink elephant. Don't wonder to yourself if this is an African elephant or maybe an Indian elephant with some sort of weird genetic anomaly. Don't wonder, is this pink elephant maybe some sort of animated cartoon straight out of a scene in Dumbo with dancing and hallucinations and maybe some overindulgence? Don't think about a pink elephant at all, okay? Whatever you do. How's that going for you? (laughs) Since I've told you not to think about a pink elephant, you're clearly not thinking of a pink elephant right now, right? I've told you not to do it. I've clearly given you the instructions of what not to do. So we should all have no problem in following that, right? Ah, there's a little bit of hesitation there, right? Well, why is that? How odd. It's almost as if you hearing something that you're not supposed to do doesn't actually give you the ability to not necessarily do it. How odd, how strange. But this is the heart of what the sermon is about today. Don't think of the pink elephant. So let's take a minute to actually look, with the help of our text this morning, about what it is that will help us to grow in our righteousness instead of just being a clear instruction. So this building up of righteousness, this is incredibly important. Um, Because for those of us baptized into Christ, we can talk all we want about our eternal security. We can uh, say that we're confident in the idea that once we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and once we believe that God raised him from the dead, that we are God's forever, all of these assurances that we have, but if we're honest, that doesn't quite sit right with us always. We know that living for God entails much, much more than just a single conversion moment. And we know, if we're being honest, that the sin in our lives continues to wreak havoc no matter how sincere we were when we confessed our belief. Now, there is no lack of unrighteousness in the world around us. Whatever you want to do, wherever you look, however you want to measure it, if you look for sin, you'll find it, I promise. If you want to look for corruption in politics, it's there. If you want to look for violence, both international and domestic, it's there. If you want to keep your eyes open for systemic racism or sexism or prejudice, it's there. If you want to, you could, Go through a list of sins yelled on a street corner from a stereotypical overzealous preacher with a megaphone about all the sins of the world around you, and you wouldn't have to look too far to find them. Sin is there. Unrighteousness is there. But of course, we don't have to look any further than our own lives to find that this love of self is deep within our own hearts, this love of self over this love others 
You see, our own selfishness and greed and pride do plenty of work rooting around in our own hearts. And as Paul said, I find this law at work, although I want to do good. Evil is right there in me. While there are some times in which we don't even really want to do good, even the times when we really, really do, when we want to change and we want to be more and more like the people God intended us to be, we find that this is incredibly difficult. It's, you know, even in my own life, you can look, um, you can look and you can see that the paths of least resistance in my own life um, by just bad habits and things that I've allowed to happen incrementally over and over and over again will place me and my desires and my needs over anyone else's. And I don't think that that's necessarily uncommon. I just think that that's a part of human nature. I want to do good, but even the good that I want to do, I don't do it. The knowledge and the initial desire is there to do better, to be better, but I consistently fail. So what do we do with this? Well, we listen to sermons that tell us what to do, of course. We read quotes, perhaps, or maybe even just see inspiring quotes on Facebook over a really nice picture of some sort of natural element, right? Um, Maybe we see examples of other people doing good things, and we think, yeah, that's what I'll do. I can be better. And our souls might be briefly stirred by the idea of righteousness. And maybe we learn something new about ourselves or about God or maybe the world, and we decide that we'll be better this time. This time, we'll do good. Because now we know, and this time, I really mean it. But much like that pink elephant you weren't supposed to think about, which I'm sure for some of you just mentioning, had to at least picture a pink elephant now. That's not how this works. It turns out that thinking these right things is not the same thing as being right. Learning about righteousness, at least in fact, does not lead to transformation alone. Now, anyone who has spent any time in Bible schools or seminaries knows this. As the hollowed halls of biblical learning are littered with usually grade A jerks. <laughs> it's true. Knowledge puffs up, as the Proverbs tell us, and it seems that no knowledge puffs up more than the knowledge about God. It can even seem to have the counter effect, making some of the most studious theological students the most, hmm, I would say, either the biggest jerks or the least generous and the least kind. So there's some sort of discrepancy between knowledge and how we act, right? So this is Paul's point of view about the law. It can't do the work of building virtue. And it is Jesus' point in front of the people of Israel. Here he was, this long-awaited Messiah, and the people miss it. (laughs) And why is it that the children seem to understand Jesus, but the people miss it? Well, it's because they don't have this pretense of already knowing how to be who they're supposed to be. It's because they don't have it all figured out, and they don't claim to, that they're the ones able to see Jesus for who he is. You see, ultimately, I think a lot of us, we really just want a godless faith, a moral system maybe, in which we can understand exactly what we need to do, and we fool ourselves into thinking that we are actually capable of doing it. We like the simplicity of Jesus' summary of the law, and somehow we mistake the simplicity of it for being easy. 
Or maybe we hear the words of the Sermon on the Mount, we feel convicted, and then we assume that if we just white-knuckle it a little bit more, then we really can become like God after all. And in so doing, each one of us manages to build our own little Tower of Babel in which we plan on ascending to God by our own strength. All we need is just one more piece of information, just maybe one more key idea, just one more brick. But what we need is not our godless morality system. That's not what we need. We don't need to just apply some rules to our life so that we can, so that we can ascend to the highest Christian virtue possible. We need transformation. We need salvation. We need Jesus. At the heart of this gospel, it's not the promise of new insight for living a more fulfilled life or your best life, um, but it's the promise that God knows you can't do it so that he will work the changes in you. At the heart of the good news is that God actually wants more from us than what the Pharisees had been talking about, but that it's God alone who will accomplish this through us and sometimes despite us in our lives. Because the law can only inform, right? It's not a bad thing. Um, it was a guardian. Kind of think of it as like a spiritual babysitter for us, right? Until we have Jesus. Um, and so all these ideas and new insights and maybe even Christian living books and anything we might, this new knowledge we might seek to gather, it's not bad. They're not a bad thing. They can help us figure some things out. They can help us see evil lurking in some areas. They can help. But it cannot bring about the transformation that we need. Its job is to inform, not to transform. And virtue building, disciplines and habits and liturgy, none of these things are bad either. They are often the means by which God transforms us, the way in which we sacrifice ourselves, perhaps, and we offer ourselves to God. On their own, a simple, practical discipline, we might just grow in righteousness, but we will almost certainly grow in self-righteousness. And the problem with self-righteousness is, is that you're not necessarily wrong, but you're wrong in how you're being right. <laughs> Self-righteous people do good things, but we are too impressed with just how right we are to notice all the ways in which we actually are also wrong. Or as Jesus put it, we can't see the log in our own eyes. This is what building our own edifice of righteousness without the constant help of the Spirit reduces us to. Let's be clear. When it comes to the tower of righteousness in our own lives, we are neither the architect nor are we the foreman. God does the planning and God does the work. Who are we in this equation? You're the oxen carrying the yoke. Right? And in this work of tilling the soil of our lives, the yoke of Christ is none other than the cross he asks each one of us to take up upon our shoulder. And this cross is our dying to self and our living to God. Um, we hear the word yoke, and sometimes that's not a pleasant image, but we get this assurance that this yoke is light and it's easy for those of us who spend our lives trying to just grit our teeth and be better. For those of us who want and fully understand living in that tension that Paul describes, understanding what it is that you want to do and what is good, and yet fully recognize where you are and what you're actually doing and what you're actually defaulting into. 
we don't have the willpower to do this on their own. We find that we have guilt that hangs heavy on us as yet again we fail to live up to the expectations that we have for ourselves and for others. The weight of trying to perhaps wrestle the power from God and become our own foreman and bring about our own sanctification. See, we are called to give up this yoke and we are called to give in to God, to allow God to come in and do his work in us, this terrifying work of changing us into who he wants us to be instead of who we think we should be. It's a work of letting go. And paradoxically enough, I think this letting go happens in the context of things like spiritual disciplines and prayer, reading scriptures. It's not just differences. Perhaps it's the attitude that you bring to it. So maybe reading scripture and being open to hearing and learning from God instead of reading a passage that's familiar and looking to prove yourself right again. Or maybe it's praying in a way that spends time listening instead of just listing out our concerns or telling God what he needs to do for us. Maybe it's choosing to read other books, inform ourselves, learn from others, all about asking God to help us. Maybe it's all in the approach. Just like years of bad posture in sports can lead to an injury, maybe approaching God with the desire to make ourselves into saints will simply cause all of our muscles, our spiritual muscles, to tense up. I believe we, we are called not to come lazily into God's uh, presence, just expecting God to drag us into holiness or drag us into righteousness. But we're supposed to be open and humble, that we acknowledge our frailty, but that we approach God knowing our weakness and knowing his strength. We're asking him to transform us. We're asking for the spirit to guide us. And we're also opening ourselves up to the body of Christ to let others look into our lives and perhaps speak truth in exactly the moments that we don't want to hear it. It is still work. The cross is still a yoke after all. And it is an automatic. But maybe a better way of understanding it is like it's going with the current instead of going against it. Remembering that when Israel was in the midst of her own crisis, being in exile, born out of her sin, that God promised to return her and bring peace. God, who doesn't desire for us to wallow around in our own lack of righteousness, he sends a king riding lowly on a donkey to make peace where peace seems impossible. Honest reflection of ourselves can only lead to the same realization that Paul had about the law and Israel. It does nothing but expose our own sinfulness. May we learn to respond the way that he did, not in despair or in uh, doubling down on this misguided belief that we can save ourselves, but learning how to respond with these words, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.